that. See, there it is again. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Jesus is talking to the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day, and that's his, one of his affectionate terms that he uses for them. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So what is stored up inside of us is the fruit that we're going to be producing. And so uh, we, we cannot, uh, cannot put on a show on the outside of good fruit without having the substance of that fruit living inside of us, and that is what, the, what we will produce. You're not going to get an apple tree to produce a grape, and uh, you can try, but that just won't happen. Those are not compatible. Uh, you, can't, you won't be able to graft. I don't think you I can't possibly graft a grape into an apple tree. Maybe we should try it sometime just to see. But uh, if you want to produce good fruits, you have to be a good tree. So we're trying to then discover what it looks like to be a good tree. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit uh, out there this morning. 2 Peter chapter 1 is our main text that we're using for this, for this series, and we've been in here for a few weeks now, so hopefully you're getting really familiar with it because there's just a lot of great material in this passage. First, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 11, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So His divine power, God's power has granted, given, or gifted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We've been over that in depth over the last several weeks. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, that, that's, the, that's the standard we've been called to, and we've been called out of the corrupted, sinful nature into this new standard of His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted and given us again to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, these promises, through the, the promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And as you've probably noticed, we could spend a lot of weeks just talking about those first two verses in this section. We have escaped the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire, and when we become a part of Christ and we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we now become partakers of the divine nature, stepping away from the corrupted nature that we were born with. Verse 5, for this very reason… Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Another way of saying that is moral excellence. And virtue with knowledge. Supplement your knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness or perseverance. Supplement your steadfastness with godliness and your godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And now listen here. This is, this is what's driving us here. For if these qualities the list we just read, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So if we don't have these qualities in our life, if they're not increasing and growing in our lives, then we have to go back to the very beginning and see if we've answered the question about Jesus Christ right. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then these qualities should be growing in us, and we should be uh, becoming fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and these qualities then exhibiting and producing the fruit of that relationship in our heart and our life are working themselves out on the outside. But if we lack these qualities, we're so nearsighted that we're blind, having forgotten that we were cleansed from our former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is responsibility on our part for the life that we lead. We, we cannot just pray a prayer and expect to be good from that point on. We, we pray the prayer and we begin the journey, and then from that point on, our lives then need to start reflecting this new life in Christ and the qualities that, that come with 
that life. And so that's what we've been pursuing over the course of this series in Becoming Good Trees. And we've been hammering that home every week, hopefully, to really drill down into us that, yes, we have been given this new life. Yes, we have been given godliness. But yes, we also have a responsibility to make every effort to work and strain and strive as hard as we can to supplement that faith, that free gift, with these qualities. They've been given to us. We just have to now put them into practice and live them out and work them out in our lives. Well, this week we're looking at brotherly affection. Last week we kind of covered godliness and perseverance the week before that. This week we're looking at what it means to, to uh, love one another in Christ. And I wanted to find that because I think there is a little bit of, uh, of uh, confusion when it comes to that word, and I want to clarify it for us this morning. So brotherly affection, we might often think, well, it's just loving people, right? Just loving you know, our fellow man. Well, that's not really what uh, Peter is talking about here. He's talking about loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, loving fellow Christians, loving those who are in the kingdom. So this is the love with which Christians cherish one another. This is what it means to love one another in a, with a brotherly affection. This is the word Philadelphia. This is, this is the brotherly love the, that you may have heard about, and you hear that you know, when you hear about the, the city Philadelphia, you think about that, the city of brotherly love. Brotherly love is within the kingdom of Christ, at least how we define it. Another verse I'd like you to look at, hopefully should be on the screen for you, is 1 Peter 1, where we also see this same word being used. It says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And that's the same word there, love one another from the heart, Philadelphia, loving one another, brotherly affection. So this is what we're talking about, what it means to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. So the, the people that we're gathered with together this morning, this would be you know, like our immediate family in Christ, but it doesn't just stop here. We also have brothers and sisters in Christ outside of this immediate community that we, that we can love, but we're going to kind of focus on this community and on, on the people that are gathered here at 6-8 Church this morning, what it means to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. To start, I want to talk about a myth a lie that we may have believed when it comes to current modern-day Christianity, and this is the myth of have-it-your-way Christianity. We've kind of believed this, this idea that, you know what, I, can, I should be able to go to a church and find a church that kind of meets my needs and, and does what I want and just looks like I want it to look. I should, I should be able to go out and do that, and then I can kind of customize it, right? I can customize my experience to make it, make it more beneficial to me. But I think, and if you've heard me talk over the course of the time that I've been here, when we're doing that, what we're doing is we're diluting what Jesus and what God intended our church experience to be. Because the moment we make church about what we're getting out of it, we've diluted it to something that it was never intended. See, at its core, at its heart, Christian community is not about getting my needs met. And I think that's where that idea of have it your way Christianity, have it your way church, leads us astray. We think, well, it's, you know, I need to go to church so my needs can get met. I want to say your needs will be met in Christian community. That's, that's a promise. That's a guarantee. If we're in true Christian community, everybody's needs will get met, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit. But our motive and our desire should not be getting my needs met. It should be being in true Christian community, which is about loving and serving one another. And this is a hard concept to really, to really get behind and to understand in our modern day because we live in a world that's all about, you know, getting what you want and having what you want and making things like you want them to be, right? Everything in our life exists and kind of revolves around that framework. We make things what we want them to be and we make them look like we want them to look and we're going to have the life that we want to live and we're going to do things that we want to do and we just kind of live in this independent world where we can do whatever we want and make our lives how we want them to look. And so when you come then into Christian community, we try to bring that false outside, even what I would call corrupted idea into church and make church about that same thing. And it's not going to work because that's not the new nature that we've been given in Christ. So if you've been struggling then to experience the joy of Christian community, maybe it's because you or I need to correct our motives. 
Before I go on, I just want to share with you, this is, uh, this is a wonderful church, and it's not wonderful because of uh, me. It's wonderful because of all the amazing people that God has brought here, and Jesus has done a great work in so many lives at this church. So you're sitting in the midst of really an amazing community of Jesus Christ uh, here at 6-8 Church. I've been at other churches that um, are not anything like what you're sitting in this morning. Um, I've been in churches where it would be hard to, uh, to even really get to know someone. It's hard to uh, have a relationship with someone. It's hard to, to kind of step beyond that Sunday morning ritualistic experience that we have and kind of build an authentic relationship with anyone in the body. And uh, I know from my past experience in other churches that what we have here is a real blessing. It's a real gift from God that we have at 6-8 Church. But I also want to, to let you know that I, if you're coming from a different experience, from a different background where it's like, you know what, I've, I haven't really connected with people at other churches. I have, just haven't really been able to find that community. I haven't really been able to build relationships with others. I know where you're coming from. I've been there, and I know it can be very lonely and hard to get out of that. But we should not then just come and, and try to get our needs met and not really understand the true motive we ought to be approaching brotherly love with if we're going to understand it. So what's your motive? What's my motive? What is our motive when it comes to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we loving others so that we can get things in return, or are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ here in this community because it's what God has called me to do and God has empowered me to do and God has motivated me to do? I think if we're going to understand Christian community, we need to stop asking the question, what am I going to get? And we need to start asking, what can I give? What am I going to get out of this service? What am I going to get out of this ministry? What am I going to get out of coming to this church is the wrong question. And we're always going to be disappointed when that is the first question that we ask. You know, I, I need to get X, Y, Z out of this place. And if I'm not getting that, then I'm going to go find somewhere else where I can get it. We're always going to be disappointed because no community will really be able to meet your needs in that way because that's not how God designed Christian community. So we need to stop saying, my needs aren't being met, and start saying, whose needs can I meet? This is one of my favorite ones. We need to stop saying, no, I'm just not being fed. That's hard for me to understand because I preach the sermons, and so, you know, I just I have all these notes, and there's so much uh, Jesus on these notes that it's hard for me to understand that when I hear that. I, honestly, I don't think I've even heard that since we've been here. Maybe, maybe some of you have, but I have not heard that. I've heard that at other churches. That's not to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying, I'm not saying anyone in this room is saying that. But if you find yourself leaning in that direction, saying, I'm not, I'm not really being fed, I think that's still the wrong question and the, and the wrong motive. We need to move more towards sharing with others what God is doing in our lives. I think there's just this wonderful, amazing collective of God's Spirit in this room, and when we share with one another what God is doing in our lives and how God is teaching us and how God is caring for us and God is ministering to us, we'll find ourselves being overwhelmed with the food that God puts at our table. So we need to stop saying, well, I just don't get anything out of this or that. I just, you know, I don't get anything out of church, or I don't, I don't get anything out of this ministry or youth group or, or uh, you know, whatever it is that you're, I'm just, I'm just not getting it. You know, most of the time we probably fail to understand that, that these things are not designed for you to get something out of. They're designed to move us closer to God, and sometimes that doesn't feel like you've gotten anything, Right? We're trying to push our, our body towards Christ. We're trying to push one another towards Christ so that we live more like Christ in the week that's ahead of us than we did in the week behind us. And so the way that we have to do that is we have to do what's most important. That means putting Christ first. A former pastor uh, said, uh, our, worship, our worship services are not designed for your enjoyment. They're designed to push you to be more like Christ. So sometimes we may not experience Christ, 
or experience what we think we're, we're experiencing because we're being pushed in a direction that we may not want to go, and that's a little bit hard. Uh, a text just came, I can't say I'm not being fed. The Christian axiom of a man, uh, if a man will not work, do not feed him. Come to serve and you will be fed. And someone else just texted, no whopper with a large Christianity. Yeah, that doesn't exist. Yeah, that's uh, one, of the pa- one of our passages that we refer to from time to time. If you don't work, you don't eat. If, if you don't work, you're not going to get fed. If a man won't work, he doesn't deserve to get food. If you're not willing to serve, then you probably shouldn't be fed. I know I'm coming down a little bit hard. We're going to turn a corner here in just a little bit. Don't worry. But if our motive for Christian community is self-centered, we're never going to find what we're looking for. If our motive for, you know, Christian community is, is me, 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 help me, give me, do for me, love me, then I think we're going to kind of find ourselves always wanting something that never is going to exist. Because Christian community is about dying to yourself. Just like following Jesus Christ means we have to die to ourselves and live our lives to Him, we have to die to these old ways of thinking. This, this me-first way of thinking is an old world, uh, you know, a corrupted way of thinking. We have to die to that and start putting Christ first and putting others first, and this is right out of what Jesus Christ said that we're supposed to do. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. That's the first commandment Jesus gave. The second one was, love your neighbor as yourself. We need to die to ourselves and start putting Christ's command first. Well, how do we do this? How do we love our brothers and sisters in Christ the way that we're supposed to? The first, I've got four points for you. I don't always do that, but this morning I've got four, so you can write these down if you would like, and some scriptures to support these points. Number one, the first point of being in Christian community is to be all in. Have all your chips on the table. Be devoted to one another. Let's look at that. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another more than you're being loved. Give of yourself more than you've received. Be devoted to one another. Be all in. This one's going to sting just a little bit maybe for some of you. And I'm, I don't, I'm not pointing fingers, so don't take it this way. But if we're going to be all in, then we have to be committed to being here when the body is gathered. Right? If, if we're going to be a part of Christian community, how can someone love you if you're not around? If you're not feeling like you aren't being loved, but then you're also not here on Sundays, it's going to be hard to be loved. If you're not with the community when the community is gathered, how can you receive love? How can we love you if we don't see you? Or how can we love you if we see you once or twice a month? We need to be all in and be committed to this body that God has brought together. Because it's not about coming together and, and hearing awesome music and listening to a sermon. That's not, that's not the reason we come together. We come together as the body of Christ. This is our joint time as being the body, and we come together, and this is our, our opportunity to exalt Christ as the joined and connected body of Jesus Christ every single week. And as we come together, we find encouragement and support and love and power to go into another week and be on mission for what Christ has given us to be on mission for. It's hard to be on mission if you don't have the opportunity to rub shoulders with those who are going through the same thing that you're going through, and it's hard to be loved if you're not with those who are wanting to love you. So what would it take then for you to be all in? What, what would it take for you to take that step and, and be all in, get all your chips on the table. Secondly, if we're going to experience true Christian community, true brotherly love, if we're going to know what it means to be in Christ and love one another's in Christ, yes, that was bad grammar, I know. Well, then we, it's, we have to be humble. 
We have to be all in. We have to be humble and consider others better than ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, or the translation I memorized it in said vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. If we're going to be in Christian community with one another, we have to be humble and consider others better than ourselves. That's the requirement, and part of what happens is we start thinking, you know what, I'm better than those people. We wouldn't necessarily admit that out loud, but we do in our own mind. yeah, you know, I, I just don't need them because, you know, I'm, 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 I'm above them. I, I, I just kind of sit, you know, in a, in a different level. You know, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of up here. So I, I just don't need what they need. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others as better than yourself. If we're going to be in true Christian community, we have to be humble and consider others as better. The third thing I think we're going to do if we're going to be in true Christian community and loving the brothers and sisters in Christ, this Philadelphia kind of love, is everyone has to do their part. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21 Paul talking, and Paul is talking about the body, and he's kind of just gone through this illustration about how the body of Christ is like a body, and everyone has different roles and different parts, and he gets down here a little ways down into his explanation. He says this. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more more presentable parts do not require. But God has so, listen to this, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God has so composed the body. God has composed this body of Christ here at 6 8 Church. God has designed this body. You are here for a reason. God brought you here for a reason, and that reason is not to just sit here and take in what you can take and then go off and and live your life how you'd like to live. You have a role to play in what God has brought you here to do at 6 8 Church. Everyone God brings here, God brings here to accomplish something for His kingdom and for His mission. There are no lesser parts. There may be more visible parts, but that does not mean that the parts that are less visible are deserving of less honor and dignity. In fact, that's the opposite of what Paul teaches here. He says on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. You may not feel like you have anything to offer, but if you're here at 6A Church, you have something to offer. Everyone has something that they can do to, to give or to serve. And when we're not doing that, then the body suffers. This isn't exactly what Paul is talking about here. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. By the way, when was the last time you did that? When someone else was honored in the body, you rejoiced with them? But if all the members of the body of Christ aren't doing and performing their role that God has given them to perform, if they're not serving the, in the area that God has gifted them to serve, then someone else has to kind of pick up that slack. And it can be draining for someone who doesn't have a gift to pick up the slack for someone who does when you might step into this role and find joy and life by serving because that's how God designed you to do it. Someone else has to kind of carry the weight for carrying that role that you were designed and brought here to fulfill. So if you're going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to do your part. 
You don't just sit back and wait for someone else to do it. You say, well, if no one else steps forward, I'll do it. Well, maybe God brought you here to do that specific thing. So you can do this through serving. When all of the members of the body of Christ are serving in the way God designed them to serve, then the body of Christ is going to strive. You can do this through giving. A lot of times, uh, we kind of leave the giving part out and we want just a few people to carry the load of the giving of the church, but we're all called to give. We're all called to be radically generous with the resources that God has given to us. Are we serving? Are we giving? Are we doing our part? Or are we waiting for someone else to do it? So be all in, be humble, do your part. Last point here is be intentional. Be intentional. What I mean by that is don't wait for us to facilitate relationships with others. On an average Sunday, you know, we run between you know, 60 and 75, maybe 80 adults. And the thought of me or someone here at the church trying to facilitate relationships between all of you is a burden that I don't think I was designed to carry. And I don't think that's how biblical Christian community is supposed to operate. I want to share with you just a little bit about my church growing up. I grew up in southeast Ohio at a, uh, it'd, be, it'd be considered a small church, a little bit larger than us, probably around 200 people went to this church. And, you know, this was way back in the day uh, where we had pews, right, and red carpet. Yeah, awesome, awesome red carpet. Um, we called them thrones. The pastors sat on thrones up on the stage, these big, these big chairs, right, with ornate designs all over them. So the pastors would sit up on the stage during the service while everything else was going on. And our pastor, who was uh, a monotone, couldn't sing, and uh, had no sense of musical ability whatsoever, would sit up there and he would kind of tap his foot, but it was always out of beat with the music, you know. And so he was trying to be in, in the music, but he just couldn't quite get it. Um, You're kind of your small southeast Ohio church that you've probably imagined in a lot of ways and has been maybe portrayed incorrectly, but portrayed for you in different uh, movies and TV shows. That's the kind of uh, church that I grew up with. Every uh, Every single Sunday, both Sunday morning and Sunday night, we would sing this song, this old Gaither song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I don't know if you remember, you know, it got really old when you sang it every single time you got together. But we would sing that during, that would kind of launch off our greeting time. You know, we have the greeting time here uh, and just, before the, just before the sermon. And um, we would sing as, uh, I'm so glad. And I remember, that, you know, everyone just kind of just had this, you know, almost like a, a pub kind of feel to it. You know, like we were gathering around with our steins and just raising them up. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Anyone else ever sing that song growing up? Yeah, some of you had to, I hope. Washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, join heirs with Jesus as we travel the sod. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Jesus, that's kind of how the song went. And then, you know, my parents were the, were the musicians. Dad was uh, always doing the music at church, and so mom and dad would kind of just play that song as the rest of us would go around and fellowship and shake hands with one another. And this time would carry on for for quite a while, long enough for me every single Sunday to start up. We sat over here in this corner because the piano was up there, and so mom and dad would sit over here, and they would sit up here, and while they're playing, then us kids would kind of get out and go down the aisles, and we'd just kind of walk around the, the, the sanctuary this way and shake hands and hug people and then walk across the back and then come up the middle aisle and shake hands and hug people. You, didn't, you couldn't get all the way into the pews because they're kind of hard to get into, but then you'd come out and you'd come back around and come up the other side. It was long enough of a time for us to kind of go around uh, and, and shake hands and, and hug one another. And, of course, some of the uh, older ladies still kiss you on the cheek and that kind of a thing. And uh, I'm not saying that we should bring that back. <clears throat> I'm sorry if that's who you are. But um, 
it was, a, it was a real family. It was a real community. And, and we got together after, you know, after church on Sundays for lunch. And almost every Sunday night, we'd have someone over and we'd have popcorn and bologna sandwiches and, and maybe watch the end of whatever football game was on that evening. And, uh, you know, we, when there were needs, when someone was hurt, you know, people just kind of gathered around and rallied and responded to the needs and, and met the needs of people. When someone was in the hospital, yes, the pastor would go visit, but he had, the people, other people in the church had probably already been there to visit because we just were a family. We're a really close-knit community and still have great relationships and connections with a lot of those people to this very day who, who still reach out and ask how things are going, you know, and are very interested in my life and my ministry now, even though I'm 2,700 miles away and haven't been around them in close-knit community for more than 20 years. These, this, is, this was the community of Christ that I grew up in. And you know what we didn't have? We didn't have organized small groups. We didn't have, you know, all of these strategies to bring people together. We didn't have, you know, these assimilation ideas to kind of get everyone joined together and building relationships with one another. We, we were just the body of Christ, and that was, that was how we lived and came together. We, no one waited for the pastor to facilitate the relationships and to get to know people. We just got to know people. We loved people. We loved one another. And as people kind of gathered in and new people came, we would come around them and welcome them in with open arms, and they would be a part of our community. It's impossible for me or for us as a church to facilitate every single relationship that needs to happen here as a body of Christ. And if we do that, I think you're missing out on part of the process in doing that. So be intentional. Make an effort to get to know someone every single week. Who can you get to know this week? Who can you get to know today? Maybe, maybe today is a great opportunity for you to just get to know someone and just say, hey, you want to go out to lunch at Subway afterwards? I've never met you before. Let's sit down and talk. Or you invite someone else over to your house for a meal sometime throughout the course of the week. Or you know someone's going through something and so you reach out and care for them or do something for them or love them or offer them a meal and offer to just be a listening ear. I know that's the kind of community we all really long for. That's the kind of community we want. But it's not going to happen when we're waiting for others to come at us with that kind of community. It's going to happen when we are intentional and go out and try to create that kind of community. What can I do, what can we do today to love a brother or sister in Christ at 6-8 Church? Be intentional. And I think this is how we will start to develop and continue to develop. By the way, I'm going to brag on you here in just a second. I'm not just going to be down on you. I'm going to brag on you here in a little bit. But this is how we continue to develop this brotherly affection, this brotherly love, by becoming more and more the body of Christ like Christ commanded us to be. John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus is talking, and he says, A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Love is good, but what's the point of this? Why did, why did Jesus give us this command? I think this is, the, this is the reason, and this is where we're going to turn a corner, and this is going to head us into the last week of this series next week. But Jesus says, by this, by what? By this love that you have for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why is our, our brotherly affection, our Philadelphia, so important? Because that is how the world is going to see that we are disciples and they will be drawn into what God is doing through us here at 6-8 Church. It's, it's, it's critical that we understand that we love one another. We have to love one another in an unconditional kind of a way. Now, when it comes to this, idea of, of brotherly affection, brotherly love. To be honest, there are so many of you here at 6A Church that do an awesome job. Really, I mean, there aren't very many churches that, that rally and come alongside and love and encourage and support one another like this community does. It's honestly unlike any other community I've experienced except for when I was growing up in Southeast Ohio. 
You guys do a great job already of, of loving one another. And right now, at this very moment, throughout this week, even just the last seven days, there have been several extraordinary stories that have circulated through the office as we've heard about them, about how you are loving one another. You're going above and beyond to love one another in this Philadelphia kind of love. And I want to challenge you, if you have a story to share, if you have a way that you've been loved by someone in this body, then please share it. You don't, you don't have to, you know, kind of get on, on Facebook and brag about it, although if you want to and you have permission from the people to do that, you're welcome to, but, but share it with us. Share it with one another as you're gathered around on a Sunday morning talking during the greeting time or after church. Share your stories with one another and, and encourage one another and talk about how I cannot believe Someone loved me this way this last week. I am so encouraged on, on how this has happened. Brag on your brothers and sisters in Christ, and that way we're going to encourage and facilitate and foster the, the furthering of this kind of love in our community. You guys do an awesome job about it. Let's talk about it. Talk about it to one another. Encourage one another. You guys already do so much of this. But as good as we all do, you know, we're not there yet, of course. I had to turn and go back just a little bit, but we're not where we should be. There are a good percentage of us who still haven't, you know, really stepped in all of the way. We're kind of sitting on the edge of the pool and dipping our toes in the water, and maybe we, we put, our, put our feet in a little bit and we just kind of hang out on the side, and we just haven't really taken that final dive into Christian community. <clears throat> What does it look like? Well, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, gives us a picture of how the early church lived in this kind of radical community. <clears throat> and they, the early church, the, the followers of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and they devoted themselves to prayer. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You hear it all right there. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayer. And awe and wonder came on all those who believed, and signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and all who believed, they shared everything in common. And day by day, attending the temple courts together, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. Listen, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's what... Christian community, Christian family, brotherly love looks like. So what can we do today? What can I do today? What can you do today to love a brother or sister in Christ at 6-8? And I think if we ask that question every day, it doesn't have to be anything major. Maybe some days it will be. But what can I do today to love a brother or sister in Christ at 6-8 church? Yeah, love somebody while you're here, do that. That's a good thing. We should all do that. We should all encourage one another when we're gathered together. We should pat one another on the back and, and try to prod one another on to doing the good deeds that Christ has called us to do when we're gathered here to, to, together. But what about Monday? What can you do on Monday to love a brother or sister in Christ at 6A Church? How about on Thursday? What can you do on Thursday when you're getting towards the end of the week and you're running out of steam and you're feeling drained and tired and you don't know if you're going to make it through the rest of the week and someone comes along and says, you know what, here's how I can love you, here's how I can encourage you, let me come alongside you in this way, and you get just that little boost of energy you need to live for Christ one more day throughout the week. 
What can you do? What can I do today to love a brother or sister in Christ at 6-8? If we're going to experience this Philadelphia, this, this brotherly love that, that we're talking about as we've been ascending the ladder of these qualities and, and coming through these things, if we're going to really experience this, someone just said if you, one of the things that you can do is chasing Supermom on Thursdays. That's a great opportunity to come in and experience love for the moms. But as we've kind of been ascending this ladder of all the qualities that are supposed to be producing this fruit that will last in us, the fruit that is the fruit of the kingdom of God, this Christian community is right next to the top where we've got agape coming up next week, and we're going to kind of hammer that home as we finish up this series. But as we've seen from the very beginning, all of this requires effort on our part. Make every effort to supplement your faith with agape or with brotherly affection. It's not going to happen if we just kind of sit back and hope that someone is going to Philadelphia me. I have to do something. See, true Christian community requires something of me. True Christian community requires that I have some skin in the game. And if you feel like you just don't have that Christian community yet, Maybe it's because you've been approaching this community as a contract instead of a covenant. See, they, the early church, they were devoted to one another. They were devoted to, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. There was a level of devotion. There was, there was this undying commitment. There was this, you know what, I'm never giving up. This is my community. This is my body. And no matter what, this is where, where Christ has put me. And I think in our contractual age that we live in, we kind of live in this time where it's, you know what, if they say something that I don't like, if they say something that doesn't sit well with me, or if they do something that I don't want, or this or that, then you know what, I'm going to go find another church, I'm just going to move on, and I'm going to find my place somewhere else. And so we treat our community as a contract, and no wonder we don't have true community. Have you ever tried to build a real relationship based on a contract? It doesn't work. Real relationship requires a covenant. It requires a commitment, an undying commitment to a community. So unless God speaks to you in an audible voice and the heavens open and he says, go find another church, this is where God has you. Are you treating this as a contract or a covenant? We're not going to have it without that. We're not going to have true community without that. We're not going to have it without humility or intentionality. But when we do our part, when we're invested, then the benefits and the rewards of brotherly affection far outweigh whatever price we paid to get it. If you've never really felt like you're part of Christian community, I would just encourage you and urge you this morning to, to start making a sacrifice to, to get in to the community. How can you serve? How can you love? How can you give? How can you offer yourself to become a part of this community? And if you've never felt like you belong, maybe it's because you've never been committed in the way that we're talking about here. And I want so deeply, so badly for us to just kind of have this kind of love at our church. But that's one of those things that I just, I can't want bad enough for you. I can't want it enough for you to get it. You have to want it, and you have to invest in it, and you have to give towards it and work towards it and be involved in it. I know it because I've experienced it, because I have felt the love of Christ in this place from the time that God drew us here three and a half years ago. This community has been so healing for us and for so many but this community has come around my family and loved my family in a tremendous way that I could never really explain in words and in the time that we have this morning. And I want so badly for all of us to experience that love, that, that Philadelphia kind of love. And if I could, well, no, I wouldn't, but I was going to say if I could, I would do it for you, but then you miss out on doing it. So my challenge for all of us, myself included, is 
What areas, when it comes to Philadelphia, when it comes to Christian community, when it comes to brotherly affection, loving one another in this undying way, what, what areas have I just been kind of dipping my toes in the water? Or maybe, you know, just kind of sitting with my feet in the water a little bit. What's it going to take for us to just kind of jump in? Be all in. What's it going to take for you and me to just kind of dive in head first and say, you know, I want to be in this Philadelphia kind of love and I want to experience it. And if that requires me to jump in and be all the way committed, then that's what I'm going to do. Because if we don't do that, I think what we'll just continue to experience is the frustration, this, this kind of taste of, you know what, I'm starting to get a little bit of a taste of what this community looks like, but I'm just not ready to give everything yet. I'm not ready to, to jump in yet. And so, so we just kind of live in this land of limbo where we want it and we start to taste it a little bit, but we want to hold back to our own ways and our own desires and our own agendas and our own selfish pursuits and all of these ambitions that we have for ourselves. And so that keeps us from really just going in all the way. And we're just constantly frustrated and irritated that we never get what we think we want out of the community that, that we just haven't really committed to, what would it take for you and me to jump in headfirst into the deep end, to dive in all the way and say, you know what, this is the community God has placed me in, this is the community God has brought me to, and he brought me here for a reason because he had something for me to do, he had someone for, for me to love, and he had a mission for me to accomplish, and I'm not willing to just kind of linger and limbo between myself and my old ways and this new life that he's given to me, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to go after what God has for me here at this community, and it's not until we do that, that we're going to really experience the kind of brotherly love that you were created for. What will it take? I hope that you'll do it. I hope that you'll hear this plea and that you'll just, that you'll jump in and that from this point forward we'll just kind of be this church that as we are in so many ways, that's just the exception to the rule. Where people wander in from time to time and they start to realize that the love here is so strong that there's just something different about this place. There's a bunch of weirdos there, but there's something that just draws me in, and I just I find myself drawn to something that I've never experienced before, and that we will be able to give glory to God and give credit to Christ in us, loving one another in this radical community kind of way, and be able to say, yeah, you know what you're feeling here? You're feeling Christ that's what it's going to take for us to really love one another in this kind of community. Well, that's all I have for us this morning. The band is going to come and we're going to come and gather the elements for communion and then we'll take communion together at the end of the song. As they're coming, I'd invite you to stand and I just want to pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for this gift of this church that you've given to me and my family. I am so thankful for all the brothers and sisters in Christ that you have brought here over the years and have surrounded us with those who have loved us with an undying love and been committed to us and just cared for us in, in ways that we can't even explain. My family has received so much that I could never repay, and I thank you for that. I thank you for all that you've given to us through this community. And I know that there are others in here who feel the same way, that there are those who have received so much love and so much support and so much care and so much encouragement from this community. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the way we love. I thank you for, for the way we already do this kind of Philadelphia love. I thank you that you've, that you've inspired us and that you've pushed us in that and that you've always been the driving force in that. And I thank you that, that you've just already started to shine the glimmers of what that could be here. Father, I pray for all of us that, that whatever's holding us back from diving into this community, from, from just taking that plunge to being a part of what you've called us to be, Father, I pray that you'd help us now in this moment to lay that down, to set it aside once and for all and to step into this community that you've given to us
for good. To put aside the contract, the if-then clauses and all of those things that we're expecting to happen, to just put those away and bury those once and for all and to step in and say, I'm here for good. I'm in. What do you need? I'm in. What can I do? I'm in. How can I serve? I'm in. Who can I love? And Father, I pray that we do that not only for the selfish things that we experience out of being in that kind of community, but Father, I pray that we would be a community that does that so that we could shine so brightly the light of the love of Jesus Christ into this world. I pray that our love here for one another would be so radical, it would be so extreme, it would be so generous, it would be so selfless that that people see the love that we have for one another and they say, I don't know what's wrong with those people, but I want to be a part of it. Father, help us to be that kind of a church, to live in that kind of community where we we set aside our selfish agendas, our selfish pursuits, our selfish ideas, and our end game of getting ourselves where we want to be and put all of that aside and step behind that and say, I'm here to give, I'm here to love, I'm here to be a part of the bigger picture, the bigger goal that God has for me in this place. To consider one another better than ourselves to take the attitude of Jesus Christ who, even though he was God, did not use his godliness, his godhood for his own advantage, for his own welfare. But he humbled himself and he became obedient to death. Father, let us become obedient to death. That we would die with Christ on the cross to our old selves and our old ways and our old habits, our old patterns, our corrupted, worldly, selfish natures for good. That you may, just as you did with Christ, raise us up to a resurrected new life. And Father, as we live out this new life in our, in our personal walk with you, in our community with you, and as we love one another in this selfless kind of a way, Father, may you shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ that through this place people would come to know you and that they would worship you and that they would exalt you and that they would get on their knees and lift you and exalt you to the highest place. Call you the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, use us to, to advance your kingdom of love into this world of hate. May we be a place that loves so radically that those who hate are drawn in and converted by the love in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.